All right, so before we begin, I would just like to state for the record that today is December 13th, 2022, and my name is Ben Bauman, and I'm in Indianapolis, Indiana, speaking with Jay Murray Clark, and we are doing an interview for the Indiana Legislative Oral History Initiative. So just starting off, when and where were you born? Um, Indianapolis, 1957. And what were your parents' names? Uh, Jim is my dad's name, and Claire my mom's name. When did your family uh, first get to Indiana? Mm. Well, my grandparents were from Indiana, so I was probably <laughs> unclear on my grandfather's side. He, okay. <laughs> uh, but his, his, his father, my great-grandfather, was actually a firefighter on the south side of Indianapolis. Hmm. So that with the, I'm probably fourth or fifth generation with them. My my grandparent, my dad's family, my dad was the son of Scottish immigrants. Okay. And he was the baby, he was much younger than his oldest brother, Alex Clark, who was mayor of Indianapolis in the nineteen fifties. And they got to, they actually immigrated to Canada first and then moved down to Indianapolis. And that would have been Roughly, maybe the early twenties, mm -hmm. somewhere in there. That's interesting. Okay, cool. And um, what were your parents' occupations? Well, my dad's a lawyer. Okay, was a lawyer. He passed away in twenty twenty one. for sixty years. Um, and mom was a homemaker, and mm -hmm. you know, so forth. Yeah. Uh, do you have any siblings? Mm-hmm. Three siblings, two brothers. One, Matt, who's a lawyer, retired lawyer, but is a, a year younger than I am, kind of an Irish twin. And then my brother Cam, who's just who's five years younger than I am, who was just recently retired as commissioner in Indiana Department of Natural Resources. Oh, okay. Served under four different governors. And then my the baby is my sister. Her name is Heather. Mm -hmm. Clark Gifford, and she uh, lives in Carmel with her husband. Oh, okay. Has three adult children. Yeah. So, how would you describe your childhood? Mm -hmm. I grew up by uh, Holiday Park here on the kind of the north side yep. of Indianapolis. And it was, you know, kind of a ideal, uh, wonderful way for a family full of particularly my brothers and I, you know, kids that were always outside getting in trouble and so forth, lived wooded area behind us, you know, at that time. So um, we moved there in 1962 and then lived, you know, I grew up there and, you know, at that time we were on the absolute outskirts. In fact, I'm not sure that was in the city of Indianapolis at the time, 63rd Street. And then, of course, in 1969, the governments of Indianapolis and Marion County were unified. Mm, okay. That's the term Unigov in Indianapolis. But we were kind of on the outskirts at that time, right? Yeah. Which is hard to believe now. But. Yeah, okay. That's interesting. Uh, who would you say were the most influential people in your childhood? Mm. Well, my dad always, right? But uh, his brother, Alex, who was a remarkable 
man, you know, he, oldest son of Scottish immigrants, first in his family to go to college, uh, was a major and intelligence officer in Patton's Third Army. Huh. In his 20s, was a part member of the team that negotiated the line of demarcation with with Russia. Wow. Eastern Europe. Um, Purple Heart, Silver Star, two bronze medals shot twice, captured once. Uh, on my mother's side of the family, my grandfather, Frank McKinney, was a self-made person, you know, banker, very successful. Never stepped foot in a college classroom. And at one point in time, was chairman of the board, board of trustees at Indiana University, Democrat national chairman under Harry Truman. So I don't know of anybody, I've never met anybody that had better male mentors than I had. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Jeez. Um, what did you know about your family's politics growing up? Mm -hmm. Well, my, I like to tell people I'm a mud. I mean, my mother's side of the family were Irish Catholic Democrats. My father's side of the family were Scottish Presbyterian Republicans. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, truly... Truly a mutt, right? I mean, sure. And took a little bit from both, and you know, Republic. Although, you know, there was less polar differences, you know, in the parties sure. at that time. Like my, my grandfather was a banker, and he was very conservative. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Democrat, very conservative. No. Yeah. What schools did you attend growing up? I went to St. Luke Catholic School on the north side, grade school, Burbuff, high school there on the north side, and I went to Kenya College undergraduate. It's a liberal arts school in Ohio, really a fine school. I probably couldn't get in today. And then I went to IU Law School in Indianapolis. Yeah. Um, I worked while I was in law school and then started practicing law after I got out of there. Were you involved in any extracurricular activities in college or anything? I was a baseball player. I, I played played baseball. Um, yeah. You know, that's kind of the main extracurricular activity. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, did your awareness of politics change in college? No, I don't think so. I mean, I grew up in a political home. Yeah. So, you know, I grew up in a home where healthy political debate mm -hmm. but a healthy respect for people who ran for office got in the arena as Teddy Roosevelt said and considered politics and elected office public service not in the, you know politician in the pejorative way that many people look at it today yeah so when you were in college did you feel like you could relate to people about politics or was it different because you'd come from a family that had so much political knowledge already. I mean, I I could always communicate, you know, yeah. argue my position or whatever. And, you know, as you probably know this, right? Liberal arts schools tend to be havens for yeah. young, more <laughs> radical thought and all that. That wasn't me. I was... Yeah. Um, so actually, 
we did get in a fair amount of debates. I did. I took a lot of social sciences, you know, political science and sociology, macro sociology type of political thought. I was always tended to be the most conservative. Yeah. <laughs> Although at least at that time, there was a welcome for and a tolerance for differences in political opinions. So mm -hmm. it was a great school, a great education. Yeah. Cool. All right. Um, let's see. So what was uh, your employment history after college? Well, I went right into law school, and I went full-time first year, and then second year I worked as a bailiff in the Marion County Circuit Court, so okay. in Indiana. Each county has one constitutional court, that's circuit court. In, in the bigger counties, you have a circuit and superior court. Smaller counties, the smallest counties, you probably only have, I mean, this circuit court will handle everything from speeding tickets to capital murder, you know. Yeah. Uh, and that was great. I worked there, and then I worked at my dad and uncle's law firm as a clerk, kind of a gopher, my senior, my last year in law school and then worked there, worked at that law firm for, oh gosh, almost 20 some years, 20, three or four years. And then wow. came, came, to, came, to, and came to Baker and Daniels. This firm was originally the Baker and Daniels okay. in 2005, I think. Yeah, that's cool, interesting. And when did you get married? Uh, we got married in 1983. Yeah. Okay. And do you have any children? Still married. Uh, yeah, we have four children. We have a boy who all live in town here, a boy who uh, works for a company by the name of Cornerstone, which is a kind of a real estate develop real estate company and come with in the healthcare area, kind of a healthcare niche. Mm -hmm. He's married and has one little boy, and, and we have three girls. My wife's a pediatric dentist. She went to IU and then IU Dental School and then did a residency at Riley Hospital. That's the same route our two oldest daughters took, and so the three of them practice in one way or another together, and then our the youngest, Annie, is a senior at dental school, went to IU undergrad and is a senior at IU Dental School. Then. Oh, that's cool. All right. And uh, how, so when did you decide to get more seriously involved in politics? Well, it was a natural progression, right, when I came back. I mean, we have a very close family, and I spent a lot of time with my dad and my uncle. And, you know, we, well, even when I was a bailiff in law school or uh, in circuit court, I was expected to work, you know, election days. So it was kind of a natural progression. And there were a handful of us, you know, in law school that were interested in politics and we ran, we worked for the local Republican Party, which at the time really was kind of the kind of political force mm -hmm. in Indianapolis. And, you know, we would, we worked during the day and worked for them at night and, you know, met people and had a ball and 
Yeah. You know, the the chair people of the party back then, Keith Bulin, who was, this, I mean, this is going to sound pretentious, but it's really, if you if you read about him, you will hear this said that he, at one point, was considered like the most powerful county Republican yeah. chair in the country. Um, and then his successor, John Sweezy, who was from the south side, or east side, there a long time. And, uh, yeah, so we did a lot of work with them. Got to know county elected officials, city council people. Dr. Bert Servaz, who was the president of the council for 25 plus years, who was a remarkable, I mean, just meeting these remarkable leaders like Dr. Servaz, my uncle, and Senator Luger, and Mayor Hudnut. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it was in many ways kind of the heyday of Republican in this city. And there was a way, if you wanted to work hard and you were young and you wanted to roll up your sleeves like a handful of us did, mostly from law school, many of whom you probably recognize their names going forward, right? You could, you could get in there. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. And so when did you decide to run for the Indiana General Assembly? Yeah, so I, so I first ran for... Um, what... I forget what year, but I, I was, I ran for township government, okay. township, we called it an advisory board at the time, it, and it, you know, township government's been largely eliminated or decreased statewide, which is probably a good thing, and uh, was elected, and then I, I really thought about running for state senate in 1990. Um, on the kind of the north side of Indianapolis, and uh, Les Duvall had been a senator in that area. Les, who was a remarkable leader too, and then Bill Swords was the had been in the legislature a long time, and then he was current. And he had talked about retiring, and but he said he was going to run again, and so actually helped him. He had a really rough primary in. in uh, May of 1990, very high profile, actually helped him. And then, I, but he had given me the impression he wasn't going to run again. Well, yeah. so I started lining up, and then he he told me in 94, 93, late 93, he wanted me to help him, and I said, Bill, I'm, I'm a candidate, you know, whatever, we'll see what happens. It actually won, you know, defeated yeah. Bill, who was... So... <laughs> so that's how that shook out. So I was elected in '94. Yeah. Did you have a, a particular like campaign strategy at all, or? Um, well, at the time, you know, that's a good. That's a good question. Uh, at the time, the the Republican Party organization was so strong, and in order to win the primary, you really had. For the most, this wasn't always the case, but more often than not the case, you had to go through the slating process. Yep. And we could spend an hour on the history of that and all that, but the slating process was essentially a vote of the, the, rank, the rank and file political 
activists. So it's the precinct committeeman, the vice committeeman, and essentially the ward chairman in your district. Yeah. And um, so my strategy, and I started very early on, was to gain the trust and ultimately the support of those people. Mm-hmm. And then when that happened, I won the slating. Uh, as it turned out, Bill nor the other people that ran the slating decided not to run the primary. That's how strong it was at that time. Yeah. Although Bill would have been formidable, no doubt, and we would have had to raise money and run a tr- more traditional campaign. And then that at that time, you know, that was a pretty strong Republican district. And uh, so, you know, ran a more traditional general campaign. I mean, my, my, my thinking at the time, if you remember 1994, right, that was Newt mm-hmm. Gingrich's contract yep. with America and so forth. And it was, I was a, you know, a conservative Republican, more in the no, mode of less government, you know, kind of mm-hmm. personal accountability, uh, economic development and all that, which was kind of my, you know, forte. Yeah. Or forte, uh, my slant, you know. So, yeah, so I was elected in 94. Of course, we were all like 94. That was a good Republican year. Yeah. We thought we'd never win, lose another election until 1996 came, across, mm-hmm. came around, you know. So I'm curious to have a couple questions. So what were your thoughts on like the direction the party was moving at the time? Um, yeah, because you, your family honestly has had yeah. a political background for a while. I mean, did it seem kind of different at all from what you kind of grew up with understanding the Republican Party or? Well, I mean, so if you're involved in, my dad was in the legislature one term in 1962. Okay. And uh, they got. He won in '62. Got beaten in '64. And of course, like we all won '94. We all lost in '64, right? I mean, yeah. that was the Goldwater year and all you know and all that. And um, but you know, my uncle was a mayor. We were local government centric mm-hmm. as of you know our involvement, our day to day concerns and so forth. And, you know, there was a real practical bent about, you know, right? So, because running a city or running a state, right, you can, you can have your ideological views, but you got to keep the trains running on time. So right. You know, the 94 was with Newt stuff and all that more. And I like that because I always like, mm-hmm. I like policy. And it fit really well with kind of what I thought. Yeah. And I was a Reagan Republican. You know, it fit well with kind of Reagan sure. Republicanism and so forth. So, um, yeah, it all made sense to me. And I wasn't naive, given my family history, about the legislature and how mm-hmm. it's, you know, you better... The sausage factory, as they yeah. say, right? I mean, there's a, yeah. 
you can be an ideologue, but you better know how to be learn how to become or know how to how to be effective. Yeah. Work with others and so forth, right? Because at the time the legislature was very close, right? When I was first elected, when I was first running, I think the Senate was twenty six twenty four and the House was like almost even, you know, back then it went kind of flipped from oh, it seemed like election to election, whether it was Democrat yeah. control or Republican control. So we had a good, Republicans had a good year in 94, and we went up to like 28 Republicans. Yeah. Right? Uh, well, so it was a lot closer at that time. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, okay. No, interesting. Um, and uh, you know, when you first ran you know, won your election, what did you think of the election process in general? Did, did it seem like an like a, a enjoyable process, or was it Oh, I, yeah, I loved it. But, I mean, I grew up with all of it. It was not yeah. foreign to me, yeah. right? I mean, so it was, it was work. Mm-hmm. And we had a young family. I mean, it wasn't easy. And yeah. I'm trying to practice law at the same time. Yeah. A living, right? So, but it was... It was just something, you know, in our family, and by the way, not all my siblings were in it like I was and all that, but I mean, you were expected to give back in some way or another, right? Mm-hmm. And so it was it was not a chore, man. Yeah. I mean, it was just part of the what we wanted to do and accomplish and so forth. Sure. What was your reaction when you found out that you won? Well, I suppose a little relief. I mean, I, if I'd have <laughs> lost that, I mean... Because <laughs> it was a strong Republican district. I mean, it just yeah. Did you like uh, have to develop a, a different sort of campaign strategy for future elections, or just keep the you same? You know, stuff? I I don't remember. So I was elected three times. Um, it, I'm not sure I even had Democrat opponents in the other two. Okay. Yeah. I'm not sure I had any opponents in the other two. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so. so. It's a pretty clear path there. Well, it was a good Republican district. Yeah. Um, I had great relationships with the rank and file through my work with the party. Um, I was resolute in keeping those relationships, in part as a political strategy, but also because I, I really respected the people in our party, either party really, who worked worked at it day to day, you know, really mm-hmm. cared enough about the system and democracy to, yep. and I was, a, I, I was a precinct committee for many, many years and ward chairman too, right, so, um, anyway. Yeah, no, that's cool, okay. Uh, what were you thinking when you walked into the state house for your first day in office? Yeah, so we, and again, you know, I'm an Indianapolis born and raised, yeah. you know, I know, yeah, I worked, my first job was on Market Street. It happened sure. to be East Market Street, but I mean, I knew that I had defeated somebody who was close to or a friend of a lot of my new colleagues, right? So I had to be, I had to keep that in mind because I wanted to be effective. Yeah. I wanted to be taken serious and, and, yeah. and looked at as credible. Um, so there was that, but I mean, 
I was elected go, to go there and represent like everybody else, constituents, and I have one of 50 votes, right? So Yeah, sure. How did you uh, keep track of the needs and wants of your constituents? Uh, Well, there's a lot of different ways, right? So if you get to know people, they're, you see them around, they tell, tell you. We, we do a survey. We did a survey. It wasn't scientific, though, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and as you talk to legislators from out of state, I'm sure they tell you that they did what they call third houses. When you're an Indianapolis legislator, there's not the need to do that so much because yeah. you see people it's not like you're going home on the weekend mm-hmm. and you know people don't know who their legislator is as much right in an urban area sure but we did yeah, I mean I went to school board meetings and I did uh, you know we had meetings of kind of community organization meetings and so forth yeah okay do you remember the first uh, bill that you sponsored or authored? Yeah. So there was a, and it may still be there, <laughs> a uh, kind of a hazing process uh-huh. when you have your first bill. And it was actually a, actually it was so naive I didn't realize it was somewhat controversial. It was a, it was an immunity bill for, oh gosh, I think for um You know, maybe individuals giving emergency medical treatment for somebody who you know has a heart attack at a ball game or something like yeah. that. Yeah. And at the time, the trial lawyers were very. There was a trial lawyer who was ha- Senator Hellman, who was head of the Senate Democrats, and you know, he just grilled me. Okay. So okay. <laughs> and. He, so what happened was the hazing process is your own people get up there and mm-hmm. ask you like innocuous stupid questions that yeah. there's no good answer to you know yeah and then they they really and it's, it's it was and I was the first one in my I was the first freshman okay ever, right and then Hellman got up and he just really went after me you know but yeah that was the first one I had okay that how far did that bill get? I think it passed. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't. It wasn't a huge bill. Right. It wasn't but incredibly it, controversial. Still, to get your first bill passed, that's pretty good. So, nice. Sorry. Um, how often would you have to work with the other party to get legislation mm. through? Well, a lot. I mean, again, it was closer back then. And, you know, so in committees, typically you'd have a majority and the Republicans, maybe one, mm-hmm. or, you know, not four or five, maybe two, or, you know. So I served many years on the Judiciary Committee. Um, and Senator Rich Bray was the chair for many years, Rod's dad. And Rich put politics aside 
mm-hmm. and we were dealing largely with nonpartisan issues that meant something to people. Yeah. One particular one I was interested in was adoption. We recodified the adoption code while I was there. And so, I mean, if you want a bill passed, mm-hmm. you better get Democrat votes because you might lose some Republican votes because we dealt with, you know, he was really a good chairperson. Yeah. And he, and we had other great chairs. Um, you know, back then, you you know, education issues. So where you, you really needed Democrat support, you know, not wholesale Democrats. Sure. Um, Erling Rogers from Gary was a member of the Senate for years, and I think the House before them. And I have had and have so much respect for her, and she would say, she would come back to my desk and say, why'd you put it that way? Mm-hmm. I say, well, here's why. I said, why'd you vote the way you did when we voted? Yeah. She'd tell me. And it's amazing how much you learn when you under, try to understand the life experiences of the people you serve with. By the way, not just across the aisle. Mm-hmm. I think we've lost some of that, certainly in that in D.C. Mm-hmm. But you know, you don't. That's the that's the beauty of. I should let me converse. I say I think you'll lose some of that with super majorities or big majorities. Mm-hmm. But we had to, for the most part, we had to get. Democrat support now in the budget right those would be more party line votes right but remember a lot of I was always I always served in the majority the house went back and forth right so when when you had a Democrat house if you had a bill your bill comes out of Senate you're looking for a house author more often than not you had to find a Democrat Mm -hmm. or you at least had to have some Democrat support or never get a committee hearing yeah yeah, sure. Well, that's, you know. And so, as you may know, in the legislature, if a bill passes one house, it's alive at conference committee time. And sometimes, if you couldn't get the, the bill heard in the house by a committee or, other, you know, um, or you couldn't, you know, whatever, you couldn't find a house sponsor. Yep. You, you at least you had to hope that you had a live and conference committee and you could find some place to give it another shot. Sure, sure. Which is not always great because of germaneness rules and all that. We can get into that. But you had to deal with At that time, you had to get Democrat support. I mean, to, to, to take an approach otherwise was not the best practice, mm-hmm. not the way to really become effective, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. So, did you think, because you served there from the 90s, and I think, I guess you left in like 2010 or something? Or, no, I left or in... 2000... We can get into that, but yeah. I left in uh, late 2005. 2005, that's right. Okay, yeah. Um, and so, did you see any change between the relationship between Democrats and Republicans over the course of your career in the legislature, or was it the same? Yeah, I I hate to say it was the same, but there there was a consistency there because the for instance the president pro tem, you know, was the same during that whole mm-hmm. time. Bob Garton, you know, the finance committee chair was the same. You know, Larry Boers, 
budget committee chair Maury Mills, yeah. and then on the on the House side, you had some like Senator Hellman left. Uh, Senator McCarty was very strong. He moved on. He went. He led a, a state agency under Frank O'Bannon. Probably more turnover and leadership on the Democrat side, but still, you had during that term, you had very strong Democrats like Erlene Rogers and others. Mm-hmm. So I don't. I don't want to say it was the same. Okay. Um, I think toward the end, the House got more Republican. Okay. Which does change strategy probably a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but there was a con- certainly a consistency there. Okay. Yeah. What would you say were the differences between the House and Senate? Mm-hmm. Well, at the time, right, the... And the, this is... I think this is where our Democrat system is set up, really, and that is that the the Senate was truly the more deliberative body, right? Mm-hmm. And that would drive people in the House nuts. But you, <laughs> but you have yeah. the House ran every two years, yep. like con- like you know Congress, and then you had the Senate running every four years, or in the case of Congress, six every six years. Uh, you know, I think the 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 approach of the Senate. Generally, and Senate leadership was much more measured, and you know, and mm-hmm. all of that. Um, and the House more impulsive, you yeah. know, and all of that, right? So, and I think that's true at the federal level, at least. What used, excuse me, used to be. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I appreciated that, by the way, because I I like the pro. I think the I think the legislative process drives people nuts, right? Mm-hmm. But. I think it's I think it's a very legitimate process. Sure. Particularly in a state where you have to get up the microphone when you have a bill and you have to justify it and you have to answer questions. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. In front of everybody. Yeah. Yeah. It's a logical thing you'd want you know to have. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, how influential would you say party leadership was to getting legislation passed? Party leadership. Yeah. Well, that's that's a good that's a good question. So you have uh, there used to be. I mean, again, the the political party in Indianapolis and Marion County leadership was so strong. So they used to have a pretty big impact. I think that waned a little bit unless it was an election issue. Mm-hmm. You had such strong kind of. Legislative leaders, I mentioned three of them. That you know, they drove a lot of the policy. Mm-hmm. So it's not like the party kind of drove them. But I mean, right. not not that they didn't listen t- to their party, both sides. Yeah. But yeah. Did you ever go against party leadership? Party leadership? Yeah. Well, I'm sure I did, but yeah. I mean, I voted against a couple budgets, mm-hmm. which usually put me in the doghouse. But <laughs> <laughs> um, how influential would you say lobbyists were in the General Assembly? Um, I mean, they're always influential. I don't know that that's ever changed. You know, you had such strong, entrenched leadership in the Senate that 
you didn't have the tail wagging the dog. Okay. Let's put it that way. But I mean, they're they're strong, right? They're advocates. Some are paid, some are not. Some yeah. are nonprofits, and everybody's got a, everybody's got a lobbyist and advocate. They just don't sure. know. The race. So, yeah. I mean, I, I you know you learn who they are, who the ones are that are credible and yeah. you can trust, and you kind of go from there. Do you think they had influence on politicians and like how they voted at all? Or sure. Okay. What about like gerrymandering? Do you think that was influential? Well, I don't know. I mean, the process of redistricting yeah. happens here every you know ten years, and the way it's done in Indiana, I think, is fair, right? Mm-hmm. So you have one person from the Senate, one person from the House, and one person from the governor's office, right? So the victor goes to spoils. Yeah. And uh, so in the 91 redistricting, it was two to one Democrat. In the 2001, it was two to one Democrat, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, the the House, the Republicans all, and the House guy always got mad at the Senate because their Senate districts yeah. looked pretty good. The House, they yeah. thought, didn't look good, and then congressional seats, not so much. Yeah. But I don't, you know, gerrymandering's a is a big word. I was never involved mm-hmm. directly in the redistricting. Um, yeah. um, I mean, redistricting sure. is important yeah. because there is. I mean, but beauty's in the eye of the beholder, sure. and when <laughs> two of the three are Democrat, as was the case, yeah. and um, yeah, but you know what? That's why you let governors. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's see. So, is there anything that you would change about the legislative process based on your experiences? I'd pay them more. Okay. Yeah. I think I think elected officials generally are underpaid, mm-hmm. particularly in today's environment. I think the fact the mayor here makes, you know, and the governor makes less than some of his agency leaders, you know, I mean. Yeah, it's Yeah, <laughs> and it's a way, frankly, to attract the best. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, again, I, li- I love the process. I think it's legitimate. Yeah. And I know people who are not. It's easy to look at the process from the outside, particularly if you're not knowledgeable about it and criticize it. Sure. But, I mean, it's not easy to pass a bill. Yeah, And it's not easy to pass a bill that means something. I mean, I I dealt with a couple, mutual holding. It took me three years to pass it. Three sessions, excuse me, not three years. And, you know, it ought to be hard. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I knew what I was doing. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So... I mean, I think the process is very legitimate. Are there some small things? Maybe. I, I can't think of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Um, were there any controversial legislative issues that were debated when you served? Or? Oh, you know, most, and I'm sure you hear this from people you interview, most of the bills are not controversial and or not partisan. Okay. The vast majority yeah. of bills. Um. You know, the budget typically was 
controversial, right? I mean, in the budget years, and you know that in Indiana, we were, we, we, our, we only met, legislature only met in budget sessions mm -hmm. until, I don't know, probably was part of the seven, early 70s. Yeah, 70s, yeah. And that, with the kind of bills that, you know, you couldn't run for re-election as a governor until Otis Bowen in those 70s and so forth. So a lot of those changes were made. Um, the first, the first bill I ever, the first thing I ever, the first substantive bill, uh, mm -hmm. vote I ever cast was very controversial. Okay. <laughs> Which what was, was that? <laughs> well, there was a recount in Lake County of a Senate district, and Frank Mervan, mm -hmm. who's still there, yeah. whose son, um, did he win? He won. Yeah, he yeah, did. Yeah, yeah. So Frank was in, was an incumbent, and he ran in 94 up there, and 94 is a bad year from Democrats, and it was just basically a tie, and he ran, he ran against one by the name of Sandy Dempsey, Sandra Dempsey. And I think she had been a local official there. And they went through the whole recount process and courts and everything, and the way the system works is that the final vote goes mm -hmm. to the body. Yeah. <laughs> and so... They basically they tried it in front of the Senate. Yeah. And all the Republicans voted for Sandy Dempsey and all the Democrats yeah. voted for Frank Mervan and she won and um, and Frank beat her four years later. Yeah. <laughs> and actually Frank and I became pretty you know, that's one of those you know, you're thinking my first vote and it's kind of a Yeah. I mean there were you know, anything having to do with kind of abortion was controversial. Sure. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think what else. You know, a lot of the controversy was in bills was more parochial. You know, like you'd have an issue on coal mining or something. Mm -hmm. It'd be very controversial for what. And now the gaming, the paramutual passed the year before I got. You know, you got there, but anything. Having to do with gaming was controversial. Alcohol at the time was very controversial. But I never really felt... I mean, I always, from my dad, my family, they, they always said, you know, no bill's going to ever be as good as the proponents say, nor as bad as the opponents. And Western civilization will go on no matter how you vote. You know, you, yeah. had, to make, you had to make a judgment go with it, right? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, there are people were, and still are people who just agonize over votes, you know. And yeah. I, I've seen some people like have like strokes, and you know, yeah. I mean, like, hey, man, <laughs> well, it's okay. Yeah. Calm down, yeah. yeah. Jeez. <clears throat> um, now, I saw that like, you had worked on uh, some stuff in like newspapers with like small business Legislation, insurance legislation, and you mm -hmm. mentioned earlier about the childhood adoptions. Uh, can you talk a little bit about those and what you tried to do? Yeah, so the the adoption stuff. Um, I was really interested in um, the my my mom was very big supporter. Uh, when I was growing up, helping place kids, and you know, I felt like 
you know, I'm a cradle Catholic, and mm-hmm. it helps me form my position on abortion. But I felt like you can't just be a naysayer, right? You got to look at mm-hmm. and and our adoption code was antiquated. I felt like, and, and through no fault of anybody, adoption is an area, at least back then, where it was a subject of a lot of litigation. Yeah, it got to the appellate courts and stuff, and so. Some of the people I grew up, I played Little League baseball with at Orchard Little League up by 63rd Street where I grew up, had become really good adoption lawyers, and I've known them through the years, and had gotten involved in litigation, and we got together and worked together to, you know, come up with some ideas, and really with the with leadership from people like Teresa Lubbers, who was involved in that discussion, and um, and Rich Bray, you know, who was chairman. Um, and we would have long policy discussions in judiciary about different issues in adoption, and some, and again, not partisan, and there were differences of opinion. And um, so I was proud of what we did. Yeah. And... Uh, on the insurance side, the mutual holding bill. I'm not a. I was on the either the 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 banking committee and the insurance committee, for the most part. When I was at the Senate, were combined. They weren't always. Um, my family has a banking background. I'm not an insurance expert. The, my interest in the mutual holding bill on insurance was the AUL One America Now. AUL at the time was having a difficult time as a mutual insurance company. Um, raising capital and growing and it was due to our what they said believe, and I for the most part concurred with antiquated law in this area you know we, Indiana was way behind on banking laws mm-hmm. which is why we lost our banks right yeah um, and I was and fearful and one of those banks AFNB was my family's bank and um I didn't want to see the same thing happen to AUL, which of course is a fixture in downtown the city I love and so forth. And they had announced that if they didn't, if we didn't, you know, modify mutual holding bill, they were they're going to remescate in mm. another state. And I didn't want to see that happen. I thought it was bad. So that's how that came about. And and Governor O'Bannon had said he was for the. Modification, but we couldn't get it through the House. Okay, which was Democrat at the time, and uh, that actually ended up in a special session, which uh, put me in the real doghouse with the leadership of the Senate. But it was important, I thought, enough for me to stick my neck out in mm-hmm. my city and all that. that yeah, was, that was my interest area. Yeah, I guess that's one of the interesting aspects when you're you know, representing a district that sometimes you have to just kind of put it all on the line for that, you know, city you represent or those towns. Yeah, I mean, and that's, you know, that's, um, you can't do it all the time mm-hmm. or you'll lose your effectiveness. Yeah. And, um, you know, but it's, most legislators have to come to grips with that decision at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's there comes a time when you have to say I know you're all going to be mad at me but yeah yeah because uh, you know they're, they're not one member of senate 
when I was there, who was a constituent, mm -hmm. right? I mean, you're, you're there to represent your constituents, yeah, right? Yeah, that's the job. <laughs> um, and so why did you end up leaving the General Assembly? Yeah, so we, um, I shared uh, Mitch Daniels' gubernatorial, first gubernatorial campaign in 2004. Uh, he had asked, he asked me in late 2005 to um, become chairperson of the Republican Party, a state party, which I, a position I'd never considered or sought or anything. At the time, I had years before, a couple years before I had made some noise about running for president pro tem, and ultimately I didn't, and Bob Garton was reelected, and you know, Bob had a, you know, an exemplary, if not historic, tenure as, as President Pro Tem. I just not very good at, you know, taking orders from anybody. It's a mm -hmm. problem I've had since kindergarten. Okay. <laughs> no, but anyway, so, and then when he decided he was going to run for re-election, because it wasn't, you know, he'd been there a long time. It wasn't clear he was going to run for re-election. When he decided he was going to run for re-election in 2006, and Mitch wanted me to, you know, the governor wanted me to take that position, I thought it was probably good, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and because I really wanted to see Mitch get re-elected governor. And at yeah. the time, his approval rating statewide was like 30-something because people didn't like... In the hinterlands, didn't like daylight savings time. They didn't like the toll road lease up in northern Indiana. And then, ironically, of course, Bob Garton got beaten, upset in a primary by Senator Greg Walker. So uh, that led to David Long becoming Senator Pro Tem. And maybe I wouldn't have been able to. Maybe he would have gotten elected anyways. Mm -hmm. I mean, but right. that was kind of got brought a chuckle to a lot of people. But that's why I left. Okay. So how would you summarize your time overall then as a state legislator? Well, I love I loved a legislature. I loved being a legislator. And I, and people ask me, not as much as they used to, because it's been a while, do you miss it? And, I, and the answer I give is, yeah, I really do miss it. I love the legislative process. As a practicing lawyer with a young family, it was becoming more and more difficult to be as good a legislator as I wanted to be mm -hmm. in the interim period, right? Yeah. When we weren't in session. And that's a huge part of it, right? Uh, not just what you do when you're in session, but how you help people when you're not in session. And, um, but I love the legislature. I particularly loved, you know, the last, the conference committee time, really, you know, if you're familiar with the legislative process. Mm -hmm. It's all exhibition season until the conference committee, and yeah. I had a, I filed a lot of bills over the years. I you know because I was here and you know as a lawyer there is a little bit of an advantage in the process to being a lawyer. I think it's it's you know just interpreting law sure. and even drafting is comes a little easier. I mean it's not dispositive, but yeah. Um, yeah, yeah so I, I, I love the process. I love the building. I love the people. Um, you know, I met so many interesting people there. 
almost to a man or woman there for absolutely the right reasons. Learned a lot about the state. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a, and I, you know, I didn't always butted heads at times with even people in my own leadership, but, I, you know, utmost respect for them. Yeah. And the job they did for this state. Great leaders. Yeah. Do you have a, a proudest moment as legislator? Hmm. You know, that's a good question. I don't know that I do. I mean, I'm not sure I afforded myself the... <laughs> The ability to be proud. I mean, I thought a lot of it was <laughs> yeah. what you ought to be doing, yeah. making a difference and all that. I mean, some of those bills you mentioned were proud moments, I guess, when we passed mm-hmm. it. Um, did you have any like regrets at all, or anything that you wish you did, or? I mean, the only, I mean, I suppose my only regrets would be not getting to know the life experiences of more of the people in the building, not just the mm-hmm. legislators. And I, and I tried to, I, I just think you just grow and you, all of that if you take the time to do that. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, it was hard for me a lot of the socialization that went on at the time, maybe this is probably still the case, occurred at night, right? I mean, and everybody's yeah. out there, people are staying. Right. And that's how you got to know people, really. And I, I, I couldn't do much of that because I was, I'd go to the law office. I remember I was on Market Street. Sure, right yeah. Kind of at night, or I would, you know, we had a young family. Mm-hmm. I don't regret practicing law and being with my family I, but I but I didn't probably didn't maximize my socialization yeah okay. opportunities well based on your experiences you know what advice would you give to future legislators or current legislators well that part I would I would tell them that they they need you get need an get to know people you get you need to understand I'm sure a lot of them do that right I mean, yeah. but I mean the more you learn about the life experiences of the people around you particularly those who are the other party or across the aisle or you know the more effective you'll be yeah and the better you grow as a person too sure we live in a world of social media and you know, people living in bubbles. Yeah. <laughs> and that's that's just not good, right? It's not it's not productive. It's not real. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, yeah, I mean and I mean that'd be my biggest thing I think. Yeah. Makes sense. I would commend anybody that's 
you know, taking the time to run for office and put themselves out, particularly in today's world. Yeah, yeah. Where you can't walk across the street without somebody writing about it or talking sure. about it. Yeah. How do you think uh, politics has changed in Indiana? Well, I think I think politics has changed. Obviously, you know, when for years you couldn't. I mean, obviously, it's become more Republican, more mm-hmm. conservative. I mean. For years, it was kind of thought you couldn't become governor if you didn't have a vote in Southern Indiana. Well, that's not the case anymore, really. I mean, the growth and the political power is now kind of in Central Indiana. You look at the growth of the surrounding counties here, you know, like, yeah, it's amazing. Like, well, Carmel and Fisher are the fifth and sixth biggest state. Hamilton County is now the fourth biggest county, heading toward three. Um, so obviously that's changed the whole, you know, political uh, environment. But but then generally, right, I mean, this whole thing with social, just like nationally, social media and people living in the bubble and yeah. not taking time to, not everybody, but realize we all have a lot more in common than we do. Yeah. Differences, right? And there is a lack of civility, although, and I don't spend much time over there at the State House. I mean, I don't know that that's the case in our legislature. Mm-hmm. But I guess this is kind of like a vibe you get, perhaps. Well, well you, your question was, how has it changed in yeah. Indiana? Well, I mean, it's yeah. definitely a vibe, generally, yeah. politically. Yeah, yeah. And that's not the Hoosier way anyway, right? Mm-hmm. You don't. We shouldn't vilify or demonize somebody just because they disagree with us, and that's what you see more and more of, mm-hmm. it seems to me, thanks to social media, in large part, in my opinion. Yeah. Okay. Um, <clears throat> see, last couple questions then. What do you think is the most important work of the Indiana General Assembly? Well, I, th- I think, um, you know, there are certain things that the you know for the only constitutional responsibility of the legislature is to come up with a budget so that's that would be the most important thing mm-hmm. but I mean you know funding uh, and establishing policy on the things the big things that really matter to Hoosier state police uh, national guard uh, health care Medicaid um, you know public health uh, education um, Public education is fifty to sixty percent of the budget, and setting policy on it. Edu- you know, those are the big things, right? Education, yeah. budget, state police, you know, national guard, um, utilities. You know, those are those are the big things you know, that the legislature, I think, mm-hmm. uh, deals with, and um, I deal with a lot of other things, but sure. That's what, you know, the things that matter to Hoosiers on a day-to-day basis, irrespective of political, you know, tax environment, taxes. Yeah, makes sense. Um, so last question then, what do you want the people of Indiana to know about their influence on the Indiana General Assembly? Yeah, well, I, despite what I hear people say, right, I mean, for the most part, people over there would prefer not to make decisions that ending end up in them getting beaten the next election. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, 
that's not always sometimes you got to make a hard decision you know maybe you think is the right decision but politically probably isn't a great one mm -hmm. so um, I mean they the reality is they have a tremendous impact now people who are on the minority side of an opinion when I say minority given current makeup legislature who come mm -hmm. in droves the state house and say nobody's listening I mean I, I I just think I think legislators will listen they do listen um, they many of them come have come from prior you know local government you know right. uh, county county like you know they're you you know um, again their interest is not to get a defeated in the next election so um, but you know the, again to the bubble point right there are people on you know as Rex early says mighty thin pancake doesn't have two sides yeah and so you know I, I believe that they they do as if, if nothing else then as a practical matter they listen to constituents right yeah well, is there anything that I didn't ask about that you wanted no. to mention about your experiences? No, I mean, you know, I was lieutenant governor candidate in 2000 yep. while I was in the legislature, and I, I was able to do that because my term, you know, you're staggered in the Senate, and my election year was in the midterm, so mm -hmm. I didn't run the same year as the president. And, our, and Indiana's different because we're one of, what, 10 or 11 states where the governor runs the same year as the president. Most yeah. of the other states are mid, uh, during the midterm. So yeah, that was great. That was a great experience. Um, I ran with David McIntosh. You know, you run like the federal system here, of course. Mm -hmm. And we lost in a squeaker by 340,000 votes. So, uh, but I was in the legislature then. Yeah. It was fun going around the state and you'd have Republican legislators show up at rallies and stuff. <laughs> you kind of remember that, right? If Who your friends are when they show yeah, up. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> figure out quickly because we were never the favorite in that race yeah cool well thanks so much for doing this i really appreciate it yeah good luck to you man